This season of Threshold is underwritten by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. Welcome to Threshold. I'm Amy Martin, and this is a season two extra. We're going to follow up on the story of a Sami reindeer herding family in northern Norway, Riston and Rayolf Alexanderson and their kids. We met them back in episode six, and I think you'll get more out of this extra if you listen to that episode first. But even if you did hear it, it might have been a while back, so here's a reminder of the basic outline of what's happening. First, the Sami are the indigenous people of northern Norway, Sweden, Finland, and western Russia. Reindeer herding is a very old Sami tradition. The Alexandersons herd their reindeer on an island called Qualia, about an hour outside of the city of Trumsa. And for years, they've been struggling with the effects of climate change on their herd, Warming temperatures are disrupting herding traditions in a variety of ways. You'll hear more about that in just a few minutes. But over the last year, the Alexandersons have been fighting off a new threat, too. And ironically, this is something that's often trumpeted as a climate change solution. It's a new wind farm going in on the island. It'll have 67 turbines, making it one of the biggest onshore wind energy projects in Europe. And it's radically changing their reindeer grazing area. In fact, the wind park could make it impossible for the Alexandersons to continue herding at all. I'm going to play you just a few minutes from the previous episode to remind you of where we left the story. This is Ristin Turi Alexanderson. It's so changed, and it's so challenging to work with the reindeers now. Ristin says she's spending countless hours writing letters, attending meetings, and trying to get the different parties involved to listen to her family's concerns. She doesn't really have hope that they can stop the development. She's just trying to mitigate the impact. I talked to the Norwegian government and one of the companies involved to get their perspectives, and they say that the permitting process for this project followed all of the rules for public input. But Riston says the published plans don't always match what's actually happening on the ground. And things keep changing. In July of 2018, they found out another wind project is going in with a different owner. This one is small, just four wind turbines. But the plan is to put them right where the Alexandersons gather their reindeer, in the very spot where I spent the day with Rayolf and the kids the year before. Riston says news of this additional project hit the family hard. Right after we received the letter, you know, this letter with the four new windmills, I really just felt that I fell into a big black hole. Riston says they'd been clinging to the idea that they were at least going to be able to keep this one area protected from the development. But if these last four turbines go up... We wouldn't have a place to to gather the herd anymore. And if we can't gather the herd you know, then the reindeer herding is like, it's not possible if you can't gather them. Uh, So I, I actually right now, I can't even think about that. As we prepare this episode for release, the Alexandersons are waiting to find out if those additional four turbines will be built. Riston says if that project is stopped, they are going to try to keep herding, even with all of the changes happening around them. But if those additional four turbines are approved, she doesn't see how they can continue. So that's where we were back in the fall of 2018. The Alexandersons thought they might hear about those last four turbines in October, but by December there was still no decision. 
So Riston and her husband Raulf decided they had to start talking to their three children about what it would mean if the four additional turbines were approved. Riston told me about that when I met with her a few months ago, in January of 2019. We were like, okay, we prepared the children and we just said, okay, if the four additional windmills come, we, yeah, we, it's actually, we don't know if we can still continue to have our reindeers here and we need to really just sit down and figure out what shall we do. Are we able to be living as reindeer herders at all? And of course that was a sad talk to take with the children and so, but we, I thought that we need to do that because they need to know the reality. So what, what was that talk like? Were there tears? Yes, it was. <laughs> I guess we cried, every one of us. <laughs> Riston said they had that big family talk around Christmas time. But then, a couple of weeks later, she got a phone call from a friend who was working with her on this issue. And she was like, have you heard? <laughs> and I was like, no. I. Her friend said the project for the additional four turbines had been canceled. Yeah, and I was in the food store. <laughs> I, was just, I just had to stop and stand in the food store and just read the mail and, okay, it's true. So, yeah, that was an amazing uh, feeling. It wasn't only that these four last turbines would not be going in, Reston says. It was also the reasoning behind the decision that made her feel so good. The Norwegian Energy Department said the permitting process hadn't been handled correctly. They said the directorate for this area had granted the developers extensions without explanation and let the project grow and change without providing enough opportunities for the public to weigh in. That's what we've been saying all the time, that there is something wrong with the way that this directory has been uh, dealing with these issues. The Alexandersons have been trying to make this point about the whole project, not just that the wind park is a threat to them personally, but that they believe the process behind it has not always been fair. But for over a year, it seemed like no one was listening to them. Now they suddenly said, we just stopped the whole project. And that was just like a big victory for us. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear, she's referring only to the side project, the four additional turbines. That's the only thing that was stopped by this decision. The main project continues. And that means the Alexandersons are still living with a lot of uncertainty. The turbines that have been approved will be 85 meters high. That's almost 93 yards. The rotors will be 142 yards wide. These things are big, and there will be 67 of them. The Alexandersons don't know yet how their reindeer will be affected by all the new infrastructure. But they're going to find out in just a few months when the turbines go up. This summer, yeah. They're really working on the... I think they're working 24-7 now. And Riston says the relationships with the companies involved in the wind park construction have become very contentious. She feels the developers haven't treated her family with respect or shown a sincere desire to listen to their concerns and work with them on solutions. We asked for an interview with the project manager, Stefan Klepsland, because we wanted to hear his side of the story. He declined to go on tape. He said he would answer questions via email, but not if they were directly about the Alexandersons or any other private individuals. He wrote, quote, What I can say in general is that we feel committed to a smooth relationship with the reindeer herders in the area. End quote. He said the companies have complied with all agreements and added, quote, As project owner, we develop and build the project according to existing permits and regulations, but of course listen to local stakeholders when doing detail planning. End quote. Riston and her husband Raelf see it differently. 
They say they're treated like an annoyance and gave examples of having to petition the company repeatedly to follow through on their agreements. I don't expect them to personally feel sorrow for us and so on if they don't do that. It's okay with me in one way. But what I don't respect is that they don't have any like ethical rules for how to act when they come into indigenous people's land. Because we are in a desperate situation because of their work and because of what they do in the mountain. And if they have no reflections around that, that is very frightening for me. Riston says one way for companies and governments to build that ethical framework is to start the decision-making process for every new project with a simple question. How is this land being used now? In every project where you take land or need land, you need to look at who are using the land before you start there. Because I guess almost every spot on the world is being used by someone. Even though the rural areas don't have so many people, it doesn't mean that it's not being used. It just means that the use is different from the big cities. And so that would be like the first thing, that how does this project fit in to the use that is already there? And how do you value the use? Because even though there can be few people or it can be a use that you don't see, it doesn't mean that it's less valuable. It just means that it's different. Do you feel like you can keep hurting the reindeer there or do you still kind of wait and see? In one way, it's still wait and see because there are many research projects that says that the reindeers will go away from the wind turbines because they make noise and they um, move. Uh, so we will see when they're finished with the building and making of these wind turbines. Then we will have to try out and see if it's possible to herd the reindeer there. We don't know, so but we will just have to see. Do you think that wind farms uh, negatively affect reindeer? Uh, yes, they do. Anna Skarin is a researcher at the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences in Uppsala. I spoke with her via Skype. She studies how reindeer are impacted by wind farms. They decrease the use close to the wind farms, and then they also decrease the use of areas in open habitats areas where it would be possible to see the wind farms. She says there's some variety depending on the area and the season. For instance, in the spring, when the reindeer are having their calves, they steer clear of anything that indicates the presence of humans. But later in the summer, when it gets warm and the reindeer are being pestered by flies and mosquitoes, they sometimes prioritize windy places where they can get some relief from the insects, even if that brings them closer to humans. So during summer, when it's severe insect harassment, it's also known that that reindeer do not bother as much uh, towards human activity and disturbance because it's more important to get away from the insects. Between the two pests, humans and insects, they'll pick humans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, Anna says, her research shows that reindeer don't want to live next to or even be able to see wind farms. For example, in one of her studies, she tracked a reindeer herd for six years, before, during, and after the construction of two wind farms that were built in their grazing area. And she found evidence that the reindeer were affected both by the sight and the sound of the 18 turbines there. 
She speculates that as prey animals, reindeer want to get away from moving things on the landscape. But as their grazing areas get chopped into smaller and smaller pieces by logging operations, roads, trains, mines, and other development, there are just fewer and fewer places for the reindeer and the herders to go. All in all, it's not a lot of land that is actually good land available for the reindeer to, to graze on. And then you have to add in the impacts of climate change. So we usually talk about this cumulative effects or like the sum of all effects in relation to the, to the land use. It's death by a thousand cuts, and it goes all the way back through the centuries, starting with the colonization of the Sami homeland. And the Alexandersons say that colonization story is definitely not over. From their perspective, it's still playing out here on the island of Qualia, just outside of Trumsa, Norway. It's Thursday morning, and I am on my way across Qualia. And the last time I was here was in the summer of 2017, and it was just past the solstice, and everything was flooded with light constantly, and everything was green. Now it is a beautiful, snowy world. It's the kind of place that um, just makes it actually hard to drive because you want to stop every five minutes and take pictures. Just dramatic mountains, sparkling fjords. Yeah, it's just, it's a gorgeous place. We're going out to meet the herd right after this short break. Hey, I just have to jump back in here quickly to express how grateful I am to everyone who donated so generously when we asked for your support at the end of 2018. We were aiming to raise $10,000. Thanks to you, we raised twice that much. 244 of you donated to Threshold in the last two months of the year, and 145 of those people were making their first donation to Threshold ever. That was way over our goal of 100 new donors. Every dollar you donated was matched by Newsmatch. And because you were so awesome, you helped us qualify for a $5,000 bonus. Basically, you blew us away with your support. You let us know that you believe in the kind of journalism we're doing and that you're ready to help us make more of it. And our whole team is so grateful. And of course, anyone who wants to join our community of supporters is welcome to do so at any time at our website thresholdpodcast.org. Thank you. Welcome back to this Threshold Season 2 Extra. I'm Amy Martin, and I've just arrived at the Alexandersons' home on the Norwegian island of Qualia. When I get out of the car, I'm greeted by one of the dogs I met in the summer of 2017, plus a new puppy. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, puppies. How are you? It's a cold January morning, Riston is at work in Trumsa, the kids are at school, and Ralph is about to head out into the mountains on his snowmobile to feed the reindeer. Hey! It's great to see you again! <laughs> How are you? I'm just fine. Yeah? yeah? Two of Ralph's friends are there too. They're planning to go with us to help out with feeding the herd. After he gets me suited up in warm clothes, we all hop onto snowmobiles and take off. On my first visit here, I had one of the more exciting four-wheeler rides of my life on this mountain. 
and it's no less exciting on a snowmobile, clinging to rails with all my strength as we charge up the steep mountains, plunge through deep drifts, and dodge tree branches until we arrive at a fenced-in area where dozens of reindeer are waiting inside. Rayolf drops me off at the gate, and he and his friends drive off to pick up the food, which is stored in a shed nearby. Okay, I'm coming up to the gate. A few of the reindeer wear bells around their necks. That's the sound you're hearing there. I'm standing in a herd of reindeer. <laughs> milling around. They swirled around me in a big circle. I felt like I was in the center of a living whirlpool of reindeer. They're so beautiful. They're brown and gray, white and tan and cream and ivory. It was 10.30 a.m., but the sun hadn't come up over the horizon yet, and their warm breath lifted up into a collective cloud in the chilly morning air. They're running past me. During my reporting for season two of Threshold, I'd learned a lot about reindeer, but I'd only actually seen a few here and there from a distance. So this was my first time to see a herd being a herd. And I wasn't just seeing it, I was in it. They were so close that occasionally one would step on my toes, and it was a challenge to prevent the cord from my headphones from getting tangled up in their big branched antlers. I managed to grab a few pictures and videos before my phone battery died from the cold. You can check that out at our website. Here comes Rail with the food. Rail had loaded up a trailer with big plastic barrels full of the pellets he uses to feed the herd. His friends began spreading the pellets out on the ground and the reindeer lined up to feed. Well, can you educate me about reindeer a little bit with our all around here? Can you like teach me some stuff? <laughs> yeah, you can. Uh, There's something you I can say. Like we have males, females. This big one with the white nose. Yeah. He hasn't any antlers. That's because he has been um, after they make those calls in September and October. Then they uh, lose the antlers. Antlers. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. After and now they are on the lowest. Now it's the female who are running this store. <laughs> they are uh, like, and, and the calls are all also in a higher level than those big males. Really? Yes, because they are like just supposed to, to um, like dig, dig and dig and dig. Now they don't have to dig because I give them food, but in the, in the normal reindeer life, they dig every day. And those guys, those they dig every day, and when they're finished digging, coming down to the to the, the lichen or the food, then there comes a big female, stick her antlers in his ass, <laughs> and has to jump and make a new one. That's how it works. Yeah. Really? So yeah. she can? She's like pushing them off. Like you do the work, I need to eat. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. going to baby. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And the guys just do it. Yeah. <laughs> So both female and male reindeer grow antlers and shed them each year, but on a slightly different rhythm. The female, they lose their antlers after the calves get born. A week, two weeks after, they lose it. And they start to make new immediately. Hmm. The male are losing after the making process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, then he's skinny, 
he's not eating so much when he's... Uh, he's got other things on yeah, his mind. Yeah. <laughs> I asked Rail what he's looking for when he's trying to assess the condition of the reindeer, and he described nuances in the color and texture of their fur, the shape of their backs, and other details you would only notice if you spent day after day, year after year, getting to know these animals. This is a, this is a nice one. This is a, a nice male with a nice shape. The antlers means a lot. The, when the antlers are similar on the both sides, it's a, it's a really healthy reindeer. Oh, really? Yeah, it, so it, it's a, it should be similar. So those, <laughs> my, uh, my father-in-law told me that uh, when you choose those males for, for making calls, then the, the two bowls should be hanging the same, not the second one hanging more than the other one. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, symmetry. Yeah, and symmetry, and also symmetry in the in the antlers. Huh. Yeah. So, um, yes. I'm not sure that all humans would pass that test. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Although it was fun for me to get to see the reindeer all together like this, for Rail, it feels really wrong. As he mentioned earlier, reindeer didn't traditionally need to be fed. They've evolved in the Arctic, and they know how to dig through the snow to survive in the winter. But because of warming temperatures, there's often a layer of ice covering up the lichens they need. Reindeer can't dig through that ice, and sometimes it's even so thick that it blocks the smell of the food, so the reindeer don't know where to dig at all. So for Rayolf, feeding reindeer is a sign of nature falling out of balance. This animal belongs to this Arctic area, mm-hmm. you know, they are not bring here like sheep. You can't have a sheep outside winter time in the 40 miles or. But these guys, they can dig through two meters snow, but the, there should be something. There shouldn't be three centimeters of ice. That's the thing. So the Alexandersons have had to feed their reindeer in the winter for several years now, but they've never had to keep them locked up behind a fence before. They always let the herd roam free in the mountains and just supplemented their diet by bringing them some food out in their natural habitat. And I will be feeding them there. And I think they will have more fun or, and more like a, a normal life. But this year, the whole mountain has been turned into a construction site with new roads and lots of heavy equipment around. The reindeer don't like all the noise and commotion and Ralph was concerned they might scatter or even get hit by one of the many trucks constantly on the move now. So he decided to gather the herd here inside this fence for the winter and feed them every day. It's expensive and time-consuming, and it's an example of what Anna Skarin was talking about, the cumulative impacts that start to pile up and exacerbate each other. Rail points out one female calf who doesn't look like she's doing so well. Here you can see this cow on the backside. There is some shit. Yeah, got diarrhea. Yeah. This is another cost of feeding the reindeer. Their stomachs aren't made for processed food, and sometimes it can be hard on their digestion. Rilf has actually built a small pen behind their house, on the other side of the mountain, so he can take extra care with any of the reindeer who are struggling to adjust to the new diet. As we talk, Rilf keeps his eye on this one sick-looking calf. So uh, that one I need to take home with the others by the house, so this one I take with me. Mm. Maybe I can do it now. In one quick, confident movement, Rail grabs the reindeer by the leg, tips her onto the ground, and straddles her between his knees to hold her still. It was a silent, completely undramatic process that took him less than five seconds. She was down before either she or I knew what was happening. I can't believe how fast you got her down. 
Ralph gets busy tying her legs together so she stays snug and secure for the snowmobile ride home over the mountains. This is the, the knowledge that you have to, you can't just tie her. Um, you have to know which, which side she's gonna lie on. Which so side to lie on, meaning like... Uh, he, he should, she, she have to, the reindeer have to lie on the, on the right side. He says if reindeer lie too long on the left side, they have a hard time circulating their blood properly. But if she's tied so she's resting on her right side... She can lie, like in this, in many hours. Uh, and be okay. Yeah. He wraps her up in an old reindeer hide so she stays warm, and then he looks up at the herd feeding in the long lines of pellets his friends had spread on the ground. We have a more female reindeer which are not pregnant this year than what's, what's, what's naturally and, and, and usual. So I, I can't like know why, but uh, yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with the wind? I don't wanna. I don't wanna think about it. Uh-huh. The last time I talked to Rail was the summer of 2017, before construction of the wind park had begun. And since then, I'd spoken with Riston several times online, but this was my first chance to hear directly from Rail about how it's been affecting him. How has it been for you since they've been putting this in? That's been like a hell. Like, like it has been the most emotional tough time, or what should I say? But it has been hard. One thing is that they make it, but it's the way they do it, the way they treat us. They don't take care of our life or our rights. It's bad. It's really bad. It's the, the they are like walking on us. Can you give me an example? Like in other big uh, projects in Norway, in Sami reindeer areas, there is one thing which is uh, normal that you stop any kind of work when these uh, cars are getting bought uh, in May. But this project, they haven't any, any, any. Nothing stops them. Nothing. You can't. You can't. It's like I, I asked one guy, one of the bosses. Don't you? Uh, don't you have a heart? Why can't you think about us for a minute? Can't you see how I struggle? He said, "No. I'm just doing my work." Yeah. You know what I said to him? I said to this man. You're gonna remember me for all your life. And you're gonna say sorry one day. I'm sure. How are the kids doing with all this? I don't really know what to answer. They are doing their best. But uh, you know, kids are fantastic to, to manage changes. But you can see like, sometimes I'm in ice. You can see that they are sad, but I can't like com- complain so much because when I think about some, sometimes you have to think about other people how they struggle with other things, and I think my problem is is my problem. But uh, we all have something. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is a lot, though. Rail says he'll take me to see some of the construction on the snowmobile ride home later. 
you know, when we were together up there on that spot, it felt so pristine. And and does it feel different now? I mean, yes, of course. It's a, uh, it's. I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about it and hard to think about it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, you know, when you're like, uh, when you like, when you want something so badly as I do. For me, it's like uh, it's the only thing I want to do. <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's my life, really. Nothing else. So I can't think about anything else to do. I think I'm like the other reindeer people or people who are like have to work in the nature. I do everything I can do to fit in changes. When changes come I do whatever I can do to to fit. So that's what I'm doing every day. It costs me a lot of trouble, but I'm always like thinking I'm gonna manage. I'm gonna manage, but I don't know for how many how many years or or I don't know if them those who comes after me have the same guts or skills or whatever to to manage. I don't know. I I hope so, but because uh, it's just taking so much determination to keep going. Yeah, it's uh, it's just bad. Do you feel like you've been pretty depressed through all this? No. Um, I know that when I'm something is running against me or working against me, I get stronger, but also harder to myself. To others, that's not a good feeling, but that's who I am. That's probably why I'm I, I am here. As I said, I I get stronger. When the feeding is done, Royolf tends to the calf who needs to be taken back home. He wraps the reindeer hide tight around her, and then wraps her again in a tarp to make sure she doesn't get too cold. Then he tethers her onto a trailer, and his two friends return home, pulling her behind. He and I get on his snowmobile and head for the top of the mountain. We're soon out of the trees and racing across wide open alpine terrain, but ahead of us I can see the blinking lights of big machines on the move. The turbines aren't up yet, but there are roads curving up and around the mountains and a new building, and I try to imagine how this spot will feel with 67 turbines spinning here. Then Rayolf cuts the motor and points down at a flat spot just below us. And this is where they planned the, the four uh, extra wind turbines, which we are now hopefully made stop. We're looking down on the place where the family gathers their reindeer. This is where I spent the day last time I was here. This is where Ulf Isak, their son, tried to teach me how to lasso a reindeer, and where Sara Katrina, their daughter, told me about her passionate desire to keep her family's traditions alive. Rail points to the wooden poles of a teepee-like structure, which are standing on the spot. It's a movable Sami shelter called a lavo. But uh, one of the, uh, the wind turbines was planned just by this uh, lavo down here. I have left it 
as a sign. So uh, when we finished the work in September, I said to my wife, we, we leave it. I, I don't wanna, it's like a mark. As the climate warms, the Arctic is getting more attention than it ever has before. Some people see the region as a harbinger of our impending doom. Others see it as a blank spot on the map, rich in resources and ripe for exploitation. But for four million people, the Arctic is simply home. Again, this is Riston Turi Alexanderson. You know, it's hard because um, that's what, for me, that's what I grew up with. And not being able to pass that on to my children or to have done it and just like started and, uh, and then be forced to stop. It's really sad and it's really, you know, I get this feeling that why, why is the way I want to live my life, why is that less important than the way others want to live their lives? We're going to continue to follow this story, and if you'd like to receive updates as the wind turbines go up, please join our mailing list at our website, thresholdpodcast.org. I also want to mention that although we're focused on the experience of this one family, they are, of course, not the only people in the area affected by the wind farm. And if you can read Norwegian, or if you're comfortable with Google Translate, you can find lots of local reporting that fills out more of those details. This Threshold Extra was produced by me, Amy Martin, with help from Nick Mott. Big thanks to Rachel Kramer, our outreach manager for more than a year. You might remember her as the person who ate crickets to inspire you to donate during our fall fundraising campaign. Rachel has joined the news team at Yellowstone Public Radio in Montana, and we're excited to hear her reporting soon. Thank you for all your great work, Rachel, and welcome to Michelle Woods, our new outreach coordinator. And if you happen to be in Washington, D.C. on March 18th, you can meet Michelle and Cheryl Skabicki, our development director, and Nick Mott and me. We'll be at the Environmental Film Festival in the nation's capital as part of a special night sponsored by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. We hope to see you there, and you can find all the details about that at our website. Special thanks to Frank Allen, Matt Herlihy, Rachel Klein, Ulf Nilsson, Montana Public Radio, the Park Foundation, and our major sponsor for all of season two, the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. Our music is by Travis Yost. Mm-hmm.